Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Consumed Sermon Series, which talks about loving God and loving others with everything that we have. We hope that this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Acts 28, Paul would be arrested again and sent to stand trial before Nero again. As he would stand trial, this time... <coughs> Excuse me. Paul would certainly know that his uh, uh, his time on Earth would be short. We don't know if God revealed this to him. We don't know if this was perhaps another dream or, or something that he had in the midst of those two years. But we do know that here he is, just uh, two or three, maybe four years after Acts twenty-eight, writing back again to Timothy this young pastor at the church at Ephesus. We did that series in 1 Timothy, you remember, um, uh, the beginning of this year or last year, and we were in 1 Timothy, and we saw everything that took place there and how Paul was challenging Timothy to stand fast and to preach the faith and continue in the word and, and lead those believers at Ephesus. And, well, this time, Paul, he, he writes back again, and he really writes, uh, I believe, for a multiplicity of reasons, but really he writes back just to kind of say, Timothy, I know I'm going to die. I know my departure is at hand. I want you to come visit me. Uh, it's what he gives, gives to him later, 1 Timothy 4.12, uh, I think, 4.9 or 4.12. Uh, he says, hey, I want you to come. I want you to be, and, and I've, I've sent uh, uh, Tychicus to, uh, to Ephesus to stand in for you, and I want you to go ahead and come and visit me. And so here's, here's kind of the, the background of what we're seeing is that Paul up to this point, if you go and you read 2 Timothy, you would find that most everybody that was with him, uh, that you read about in 1 Timothy, uh, the book of 1 Timothy, most of those people who were there with Paul have all left by now. And so now it's really just Paul and Luke. Luke is the only one that's there. At this time, Demas hath forsaken him, having loved this present world. And, and um, um, Epaphras, let me go, 2 Timothy chapter... Uh, Four, verse number 14, Alexander the coppersmith has done me much evil. And uh, he says in verse number 16, in my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Uh, so here's what Paul, he's writing to Timothy saying, hey, I'm kind of feeling lonely. It's just me and Luke. I mean, we're, we're in this together. Timothy, I want you to come. So we know that Timothy would probably travel, though we don't know if Timothy made it there before Paul died. But in this letter, Paul would give to Timothy some incredible challenges and uh, exhortations on leadership. Now, of course, being a pastor, uh, leadership is one of the things that I really try to study out, and I like to read a lot of books on leadership. And when you read the books of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, you really find some uh, very helpful truths, not just about pastoring, but about leadership in general, understanding leading people. And so, Paul, he, he writes back to Timothy and he challenges Timothy to, to lead and to be unashamed in his leadership. He, he writes really chapter one and chapter two, uh, really all throughout all four chapters, just be unashamed and live with courage. Timothy, know that uh, there's a warfare that's taking place and you are living in, in a life that's gonna be filled with trials and he encourages Timothy to live with holiness and encourages him to, uh, to live with honesty. He challenges Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy to not be naive about false teachers. Uh, we would probably assume that Timothy was more of a timid young man. Tim 
Timothy the timid, that, that maybe might be who he was. He was just a little more shy and didn't really assert his opinion. And, and Paul is kind of writing saying, hey, don't do that, Timothy. You've got to stand up for doctrine and, and stand up for truth and uh, understand that you need to stay in the word of God, right? Continue thou in the things which thou hast heard among many witnesses and continue in what you know to be true and what was given to you from a child as the Holy Scriptures by your parents. Just continue in that. And so really the book of 2 Timothy is just, uh, one, one, if I can say it, spiritual father figure trying to just pass on to this young man that he had perhaps led to the Lord and discipled and grown in the faith saying, hey, I'm leaving, but you need to stand strong. Then as you come to the last chapter of, first, of 2 Timothy, you find really the closing statements of the Apostle Paul's life. And the, in these closing statements, of Paul, you're, you're challenged with the normal things of who says hello and then also who to say hello to. It was kind of a, a greeting and customary thing. You read the things about Tychicus coming and all of that. But before you get to those closing statements, you find Paul's last, I'm gonna call it his last big exhortation. It's his last big challenge to Timothy. He says in verse number one, I charge thee therefore, Hey, Timothy, I just, I, I, I want to present to you a big challenge. And Timothy, here's what it is. Preach the word. Timothy, put emphasis on the word of God. Know, verses three and four, that there are going to come false teachers that have itching ears that are going to turn away from the truth. But verse five, Timothy, I just, I exhort you to endure. Timothy, stay strong. Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Be a preacher. Be one who, who can travel and literally a, uh, an evangelist, biblical evangelist was a church planter. Go around and, and start churches and continue the ministry that we've started, me and, and Barnabas. And then he concludes with those words, Timothy, I'm about to finish my course. He says, my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I have kept the faith. Timothy, I've given you the mantle, so to speak. Pick it up and carry it on. Now, in a homiletics class, a homiletics class is the study of preaching. They'll tell you that every single portion of scripture has a CIT. Michael, what does that stand for? The central idea of the text. I had to ask him because I forgot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it has the central idea of the text, meaning that... <clears throat> portions of scripture, they all have what we call one interpretation. It's one meaning, who it's written to, the, all, all of the context falls inside of that. But then it can have many applications, many different ways that it can apply. As we come to 2 Timothy chapter 4, what we're going to find is that the CIT, the central idea uh, or the central theme of the entire passage of the book really is Timothy, I'm dying, stand strong and keep moving forward. That's 2 Timothy. That's the book. But I think in these eight verses, Paul really helps us understand some things about our theme, about a consuming love. And I want you to take your Bible tonight. I want you to notice just a few thoughts with me. I want you to notice, first of all, that when I am living with a consuming love, I am going to be living with expectation. 
When I have a consuming love for God, I'm going to live with expectation. <coughs> expectation of what? Go to verse number eight. Paul about to die, he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them, unto all them also, that love his appearing. As Paul writes these challenges to Timothy, he reminds Timothy of the crown of righteousness that's set aside for the believer that is loving the appearing of the Lord. That's who the crown of righteousness is for. It's for a believer who is in love with the fact that I get to see Jesus soon, living with expectation. Paul was using a terminology that Timothy would, uh, would be used to, as well as other readers. Uh, <clears throat> this phrase, a crown of righteousness, would be referring to um, uh, the diadema or the Stephanos. It would be the victor's crown. In their games, they would be given <clears throat> excuse me, a different wreath that would be like the, the, the reward for winning a race or winning a fight or something of that nature. And, and this wreath would be made up of, of different uh, leaves, oak leaves or something like that. And it would be perhaps a garland or a head wreath that would go around your head or around your neck. And this is what Paul is referring to. But what he's saying here, Paul is, is he's, he's helping Timothy understand that there is, a, there is a, a prize, there's a reward, there is something in store for me that is not gonna fade away. Because it's not given by just a judge, it's given by the righteous judge. And the righteous judge is gonna give this crown of righteousness to everyone who loves his appearing. You know why that's exciting? Because that can be you and me. This is one of the crowns that you and I can still win. We're not going to go through all of the crowns tonight, but there are certain crowns that only certain groups can win. The martyr's crown, the apostles, uh, and the, the, those who walked with Jesus have certain rewards and things in heaven. And there are other uh, rewards that are specific to certain groups. Well, the crown of righteousness is specific to a group as well. But that group really uh, includes anybody who just loves the appearing of the Lord. Now, I want you to think about this tonight. When Paul adds on that this reward not only belongs to him, he, he makes sure to say, and not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. Let me just give you this thought that a consuming love, it looks forward to the appearing of Christ and eternity in heaven. Listen, when you and I love the Lord, we're going to want to see him. When you're in love with him and what he's done for you and, and all that he continues to do for you and who he is, you're going to want to see him. And uh, consuming love, I think, is excited about heaven. Man, how many of you excited about heaven tonight? Let's just talk for just a minute about heaven. <clears throat> think about eternity. The Bible tells us in Revelation 21 and 22 some great things about, about heaven, about the new Jerusalem and the new heaven. Uh, the new Jerusalem has walls of jasper and a city that is of pure gold like clear glass. In verses 19 and through 21, it tells us the descriptions of the, the foundations and uh, tells us in verse 22 of Revelation 21 that there's no temple because the worship of Christ will actually be right there. There's not a place to go. It's just Jesus and God all over. There's no need of light because Jesus is there. There's never going to be darkness. There's no more uh, wickedness. There's a pure river known as the crystal sea flowing from the throne of God. There's the tree of life. There's no more sin and, and there's uh, continual serving of God. There's really the, uh, the sense of 
of true belonging to God. And the Bible tells us that we shall behold him as he is. And uh, you think about the, the light of eternity in our presence for all of eternity. And then you can continue on reading and it goes on in Revelation 22 about heaven, that, that death is gone. There's no more dying. There's no more sorrow. There's no more mourning or regret. There's no more crying. All tears are wiped away. There's no more heartache. There's no more pain. There's, there's no more cancer. There's no more disease. There's no more abortion. There's no more fighting. There, there's no more politics. Listen, all of that is free. And when we get into heaven, we will exit all of the former things that we have known in this life. And we will come into that which is completely perfect that will never pass away. But all of those things, all the suffering and sorrow and heartache that we've ever experienced in life, they're, they're all going to be gone. There's no more loss. Listen, there's no more burying loved ones. It's not gonna happen anymore in heaven. We're actually gonna be joined up with the loved ones that have passed on before that knew Christ. Anything sinful or hurtful is gonna be banished forever. Your spirit and your life is gonna be completely filled with peace and, and joy and you will, uh, forever, uh, you will forever know no threats, no danger, no pain. We'll be rid of that forever. That's a lot to look forward to, isn't it? Yeah, no more doctor's appointments. No more aches. No more waking up in the morning going, oh. There's no more waking up. Some people are like me and enjoy sleep. I'm like, you're with me? There's no more chickens, Leo. <laughs> Amen. And the, all those things are gone. Can I just tell you something? While well, those things are good, you know, that it'll be, it's gonna be good that those things are gone. And I think there's a connection between looking forward to his appearing in heaven. Paul, Paul didn't say that a crown of righteousness is for all of those who love heaven or look to heaven. Paul said it belongs unto all of them that love his appearing. You know, the greatest thing about heaven is going to be the fact that we're, we're in the presence of God. Man, you're in the presence of Jesus Christ forever. Living in the direct presence of an eternal loving Savior knowing perfect security, perfect joy, perfect peace, a total absence of all fear, hurt, and sorrow. No wonder he says it's in store for everyone who looks forward to his appearing. Man, God's there. I've said this before, and I, I will get emotional. I think about it. I get emotional every time I think about this. <clears throat> you know, most of you know, I'm a hugger. I like to hug. Quinn hates it. And I said this a few months ago, but you know what? There's, uh, there's a couple people in my life that I just enjoy giving them a hug. And I opened the illustration with my dad, but my dad, I love giving my dad a hug. 
Still to this day, I'm a 36-year-old man, and I love giving my dad a hug. You know why? It's because when I give my dad a hug, it's like all my frustrations, all my fears, all my anxieties, they just go away. It's been that way my entire life. You know, when I think about that, I can't imagine what it's going to be like to hug the Lord. I mean, Dad, I love you, but your hugs don't compare at all. You think about it. Man, you think about, think about the day you got saved and the pain that was gone and the, the forgiveness that was there. How about you multiply that by a trillion? And that feeling of the embrace of the presence of God it's going to be yours for all of eternity. Man, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like to be held in the arms of my Savior. Just think about it. Bask in it for just a second. I sit in my office studying this week, and I just sat back, just shaking my head, just thinking, man, what a day. That song that came out a number of years ago, I can only imagine and they made the movie about it and stuff like that. I, I couldn't do that song forever because of funerals that I'd been involved in that had it. But, man, there's some worship in that song and, and some, some truth. Just think about what it's going to be when you stand in the presence of God. What are you going to do? I, I think most of us will bow. Probably all of us will drop and bow before him. But when I look at the God of my Bible, I don't see him saying, stay down there and bow. I see him saying, come on, welcome home. Man, I'm looking forward to his appearing. You say, well, how can we look forward to that? When you love him, you're gonna look forward to it. Oh, I'm going to see my brother again. I'm going to see my grandparents again. I'm going to see family again. I'm going to see loved ones from our church family again. And you are too. But I get to see my Jesus. And what a day. Here's what Paul said. When you love his appearing, there's a crown of righteousness waiting for you. You got so much to look forward to. What a help, isn't it? And it's a challenge to me. God, help me to love your appearing. A consuming love is going to be, is going is to live with that expectation. Man, I'm, I'm excited. I'm expecting about heaven. And the greatest thing about heaven is going to be the fact that we're in the presence of God and Jesus Christ forever. But I want you to notice some other thoughts in this passage. I want you to see, if you will, that my expectation of seeing him, it is going to be evidenced or shown by my endurance. When I love the Lord, I'm going to be expecting to see him and excited to see him. But what that's going to do is that's going to challenge me to endure in the Christian life, to live with patience or a constant patience Notice verse three down through verse number seven. Here's what Paul writes. For the time will come 
Well, they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, for I am ready to be now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I, I have kept the faith. In verses three and four, Paul is saying, hey, there's coming a generation that's not going to endure the truth. And But then he writes to Timothy, but Timothy, you endure. Be diligent in all things. Do the work of the ministry. I've laid out for you an example of how to live. I've fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Hey, Timothy, keep strong no matter what trials come your way. No, no matter who is around you, no matter what others do, Timothy, endure. Keep moving forward and keep your faith in the Lord. And then he goes to, henceforth there is laid up for me. So Timothy, I've endured because I am looking forward to seeing him. My expectation and excitement to be face to face with God has provoked me to continue in this life with steadfastness. And I look forward to seeing him because I love him. But that love for him doesn't just say, well, I'm excited to see him. That love for him says, I'm excited to see him and I wanna be ready. And here's what I want us to understand tonight. When you and I are living in light of eternity and loving the fact that Jesus could be coming back at any moment, this is going to affect how we live each and every day. It's going to affect the decisions we make. Listen, my excitement to see the Lord and expectation to see him is going to give me courage to live for Christ as time comes to an end. And, and it's going to give me courage to want to endure through any challenges and want to stay patient and constant and focused through anything. Listen, don't just waste your time on earth. Desire to work for him. And, and, and Timothy, follow my example. And we have so many people in scripture who said, you know what? He is coming back and I'm going to let that affect how I use my day. And here we are in July of 2019, and we need to understand just a simple truth tonight that when you and I have a consuming love for him, we're going to be excited to see him. But that excitement doesn't stop with, oh, yeah, I have something to look forward to. It goes on to say, you know what, since he's coming back, I want to live for him since I'm going to see him face to face, not because I'm scared or fearful. Well, if I don't if I don't live for him, then what's he going to do when he sees me? No, I love him. I love him and I want to see him. And until I see him, I'm just going to keep moving on for him. And that's what, that's what Paul is challenging Timothy with. He's saying, hey, listen, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I have kept the faith. Timothy, you can too. And I hope that you and I would understand that when I'm consumed with the love for him, I'm going to be excited to see him, but I'm also that, that excitement is going to affect my desire to live for him. It's going gonna, it's gonna to put some spark in me, if you will. My love for him, it causes me to live with an expectation to see him. That expectation is evidenced in my endurance. But I want you to notice also that my expectation of seeing him is evidenced by my emphasis. I want you to go, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And go all the way to verse number 14. <coughs> Paul writes, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, <coughs> knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child, <coughs> excuse me, 
Thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. In these verses, Paul is challenging Timothy to keep the word of God as his emphasis, as a main emphasis in his life. Hey, Timothy, I want you to understand verse three and four that in the last days, there's gonna come people who resist truth. But Timothy, you have the truth. Keep the word of God pure in your life, as emphasis in your life. Keep it as foundational in your life. He challenges Timothy to protect himself. Hey, protect yourself from those who have itching ears. Well, how do you protect against that? Get the truth in. Timothy, get the truth in your life. Timothy, put emphasis upon the word of God in your life. Study it. Use it. Encourage the lives of believers with it. Preach it, reprove, rebuke, exhort. With what? All long suffering. There's the endurance again. Hey, Timothy, no matter what comes your way, just put the word of God first and watch what God does. Can I tell you that we'd be wise to heed these words? God's word, listen, God's word should have my full attention. I should continually put emphasis upon the word of God in my life. I think sometimes I probably sound like a broken record talking about the word of God, but I'm fine. I don't mind being broken. You need the Bible. You need the word, we, I, we need the word of God. And you, you know what we can do is I can take you right now and you, and you could take me to Christians who are, who are just struggling in life. And here's what it boils down to. They're not in the word. They may be reading it, but they're not in it. There's a lot of Christians that may get up in the morning and just read a verse to checklist it. That's not what it's talking about. Paul didn't say, hey, Timothy, all scriptures have been given by inspiration of God, so if you have time, just skim it. No, he would say to Timothy in uh, uh, 1 Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And study it. I should be putting emphasis upon his word each and every day in my life. Why? Because you're not immune to becoming one of those who has itching ears and turns to a lie. Go to verse three and four. It says, for the time will come when they, who's they? Well, the they is, some would say, well, it's the culture. Some would say, well, it's, it's Jews. I believe it's kind of all-inclusive, but I think specifically in the context of Scripture, Paul's talking a lot about believers. Why? Because he says they'll not endure sound doctrine. They used to endure sound doctrine, but now there's coming a time they won't endure sound doctrine. But what will they do? They'll have after their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. You say, well, what does that mean? People seek out what they want to hear. People seek out what is 
pleasing to their senses and helps them feel better. And it says, they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So these are people essentially in verse number four that have had their ears toward truth. If I'm reading that correct, I mean, those of you that would be interpreters of scripture, they shall turn away their ears from the truth. That means that their ears are focused on truth. So I would lean towards these maybe being a group of believers. And Paul's saying, hey, there's coming a day when they're gonna be listening to truth, but because of their own lusts, they turn away from truth. They turn to teachers having itching ears, desiring to hear what they want. Can I tell you that many times this is the very plot of Satan to distract Christians from their God-given purpose in his church. It's not in my notes, but we're gonna stop here for a few seconds. <clears throat> you need to be careful what influences you allow in your life. You need to be careful what radio preachers or TV evangelists, men of God, or internet speakers or news radio people that you allow influence in your life. I'm all for you having Christian radio, but not everything on Christian radio is godly. I'm fine with that. You need to be able to discern what's not. I'm fine with you watching the 700 Club. Is that even still on? I don't know. I'm fine with you watching maybe some, uh, uh, some teachers or preachers on the word of God. There, there's some, there are some good ones on there, but not all of them are. There's some great things. There's some great podcasts that you can find on the internet, but it's not all godly. You say, well, how do we know? How, how do we know what's godly or what's not? But Timothy, continue thou in what, what you know and you've been assured of. Oh, well, what is that? It's the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee, therefore, before God, before the righteous judge, who's appearing at any moment, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Well, what's that mean? Have the word of God readily available on your mind. Memorize it. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove. That's to correct people. Re uh, reprove is to challenge people. Rebuke is to correct people. Reprove, rebuke. Exhort. That's to encourage people with all long suffering. Well, how do I do all that? With the word. And let me just tell you this right now, that so many Christians get sucked away from church because they listen to so many horrible influences. I can't tell you how many times I've had someone come up to me and say, Pastor, I need to talk to you. Oh, okay, what's going on? Well, I have an issue with this, or this, or this, or this. Oh, okay. Because I believe, and then they go off on some crazy belief. And I'm like, have you been reading your Bible? Well, well, pastor, um, yes, yeah, I've been reading the Bible, uh, but listen, I found this guy on the internet. 
Here's what you need to do. Power down, open the word. Study scripture. Quit listening to the influences. If you know people that are, look at them and say, what are you doing? Get in the word of God. Well, I just have so much trouble. The answer is there. Get in the word of God. And how many Christians aren't in good churches tonight all across the country because they've allowed the devil to give them itching ears to turn away from truth? Well, how can we stop against that? Put emphasis on the word. Get in his word. Make his word important. Make, make his word something that you wake up and say, God, I need this. Oh, but I don't understand it. Keep reading, you will. You didn't understand the ABCs when you started in kindergarten, but now look at you. You probably got them down a little bit. Well, why? Because you've studied. You see, sometimes we just feel like we should be Christians and like, Bzz. oh, I understand all of it now. That's not how it works. That's why the phrase is there, study. Get in the word. Put emphasis upon it. Why? Because I'm not immune to being one of those with itching ears. One man said it this way, it is but a short step from itching ears to turning one's ears away from the truth. Once people have rejected the truth, they turn into fables or myths. It's not likely that man-made fables will convict them of sin or make them want to repent. The result is a congregation of comfortable professing Christians listening to a comfortable religious talk that contains no Bible doctrine. These people become the prey of every false cult because their lives lack a foundation of the word of God. It is a recognized fact that most cultists were formerly members of churches. My dad and I were talking this week about cults and I'm I don't normally do this, but tonight I am. That there's cults out there, and if you are from this or you have friends in it, you just need to listen to me. There are cults out there like the Mormons, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now they're calling themselves just the church or the movement. That's what they're being come. The, the, if you hear about the movement, that's, it's, it's Mormonism. Okay, that, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. <clears throat> My dad and I were talking. <clears throat> Yeah, the cult of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the Jehovah's Witnesses, those two. My dad and I were talking this week and we were talking about people that'll be in heaven. And we were talking about Catholicism. And you know what? There's a lot of Catholics that probably are saved because a lot of times it, they, they receive Christ and then go into sacraments and all that type of stuff. But at one point they were trusting the Lord. And once you trust in the Lord as for salvation, you're not walking away from that. That's sealed. Even if later on you get off. Can I tell you that there's probably gonna be a number of people who were in Mormon churches that are in heaven? You say, why? Oh, it's not because they got saved in a Mormon church. It's because they probably got saved from someone door knocking or they got saved from a Baptist church invitation, but they didn't get grounded. And then someone came along one day and knocked on our door and said, hey, can we mow your lawn? Hey, can we paint the shed for you? Hey, can we show you acts of kindness? Because that act of kindness opens the door. And then the act of kindness that opens the door begins to open the door for, hey, you know what, next week we'll come back, 
Uh, we noticed some weeds back here. We're gonna go through, we'll weed all of this. And then after that, could we just do a Bible study together? I mean, we've done all this work for you. Would, would you let us just, just show you a couple of great things that'll help you through the Bible? And then they'll get in and they'll pull out their King James Bible. And they'll sit down and they'll say, now we're gonna look at a great passage in the Book of Mormon. And they'll pull that out and start talking and with that King James Bible just there. And you begin to go, well, you know, I don't, be honest, you know what? If I were to ask right now, and I'm not going to, but if I were to ask how many of you have had a Bible study with someone like that, a lot of folks in here would raise their hand. I've had them sit down with me before because I'm trying to open the door to witness to them. And when they do, I'm like, well, let's do this. Let's have a Bible study with the Bible. Well, uh, we believe, right, let's just go to the Bible. And you take the Bible and put it aside. And you know what, you know what you have? You have two, like we had two Mormon missionaries sitting in the office and one of them furious, he was the elder of the elders. You know, they're both 19, but the one who's 19 in four months usurps the one who's 19 in two months. And so the one who's 19 or 20, the older one, he's sitting there just fuming. And the younger one, he's going, Dennis, I've, I've never heard it like this before. You know what it is? It's a cult. But do you know what they prey on? They prey on people who are already in churches. Well, why would someone, but Jim, why would someone who, who knows the Lord, why would they, why would they, you know, turn over to that? 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. They've turned away, their, they've turned to itching ears. Well, what caused them to do that? They got away from the word. I just want to tell you, the word of God, it's of the utmost importance in your life. Stay in it. Get in it. Study it. Teenager, you can be a teenager that knows the word of God. Children, you could be a child that knows the word of God. Grandma, you could be a grandma that knows the word of God and instills it in your grandchildren, grandfather, dad, mom, whoever you are, single, whatever age category or life stage you're in, you could be one that literally says, I'm going to put emphasis upon the word of God in my life. A consuming love for him is going to shape what I hold as valuable in this life and his word will quickly move to the top of that list. I wanna to close tonight by working this message backwards. I'm not gonna preach it all again. We're just gonna work it backwards. So if we start in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 4-2, we find emphasis. Hey, put emphasis upon the word of God in your life. When you put emphasis upon the word of God in your life, it's gonna cause you to grow in your relationship with him. The word of God will always strengthen your relationship with God. That's going to, in turn, it's going to grow your love for him. Well, what's that going to do? That's going to grow your trust in him. So if I'm putting emphasis in God's word, I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to trust him in my walk. And you know what that's going to do? That's going to affect my endurance. Because I'm walking with God, and troubles come, but I'm walking with God. He's got this. And so my emphasis is going to affect my endurance. 
I'll be stronger, I'll be a stronger Christian, I'll be a steadier Christian, I'll be one who's steadfast, why? Because the word of God literally is impacting my life. I'll be able to grow through trials and trust him and continue each and every day with him, why? Because I patiently endure. Well, as I patiently endure, because my emphasis is on the word of God, I'm just gonna love him more and more. And you know what that love's gonna do? That love is gonna start causing me to say, you know, I wanna see the one that I love. And so as I put emphasis on his word, it's gonna cause me to have endurance, which is gonna cause me to live with expectation. It's gonna cause me to want to see him. My expectation of heaven and of seeing God, of seeing the Father, of his appearing, literally will affect how I go through each and every day. Because I can't wait to see my Savior. I want to live in such a way that I please him today. And the only way that I can live in such a way that I please him today is if I get into his word. And I'm not going to be ashamed of that. And may the Lord help us. May God help us to have a consuming love for him that causes me to live with expectation. I just can't wait to see him. Because if I can't wait to see him, I'm going to want to live for him. But if I'm going to want to live for him, I'm going to put the emphasis where he wants me to put it upon the word of God. So I want to challenge you tonight to decide that this week you're going to live with a, a love for his appearing. How do I do that? Emphasis on the word causes endurance to stay, which gives the expectation to see. When I have a consuming love for the Lord, I will look forward to his appearing. I hope tonight that you'll choose that this week you're going to be consumed by a love for God and that love for him is going to affect your approach to his word, affect your approach to the day, and affect where you're focusing and what you're looking forward to. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed tonight, and I hope we've been challenged by the word. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into our invitation. If God's spoken to you, I just want to encourage you to respond. God, thank you for the day. I pray that you'd help us tonight to remember that you are coming and that we are going to see you. And Lord, that we would allow that to challenge each and every area of our life. I thank you, Father, for the word. I pray that you'd help us to put it and make it, a, a, put emphasis upon it in our life, that it would cause us to live for you. And then, Lord, that it would cause us each and every day to just look, be looking forward to see you. Lord, our perception of you affects our excitement to see you. And so, God, I pray that you grow our love for you. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.